Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast, where we share stories from amazing leaders just like you and me. We break down myths of leadership, imposter syndrome, and we ask what brave feminine leadership means and does it need to change. All of these interviews were originally recorded in video format. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Brave Feminine Leadership for news on when new video series will be dropping. It's wonderful to meet you. Drop me a note if the content resonates. Melissa at bravefeminineleadership.com. Let's get brave. Welcome to our interview series on brave feminine leadership and specifically focused on founders this time around. I am so thrilled to introduce everyone to Maggie Palmer. Maggie, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure. Thanks for hosting me, Melissa. So I'm going to jump straight in with a little bit about who you are, Maggie, before I hand over to you. So Maggie founded Pep Talker with the mission of closing the gender pay gap. Uh, the Pep Talker app helps you track your career successes. It uses artificial intelligence to coach confidence and negotiation and to give you a pep talk when you need it most. Um, I signed up earlier, so I can't wait for those motivation, <laughs> motivation to start rolling through. Love it. Um, her teams work in-house with companies to retain high potential staff, running programs around confidence, negotiation and fostering an inclusive workplace. Meggie also lectures at Columbia University and Barnard College. In her former life, she was an award-winning journalist turned entrepreneur. She spent 15 years as a uh, journalist and foreign correspondent traveling from Syria to Italy, telling stories for networks, including BBC World, CNBC, Channel 7 and Vogue. And today you're coming to me from... Palm Springs, would you believe it? So yeah, I'm an Aussie who now calls New York City home and I'm here in very sunny Palm Springs because this week is the TED Women Conference. Uh, and you know, Melissa, like conferences are okay, aren't they? Like sometimes they're amazing, sometimes they're okay. This one is exceptional. And so I come every year. And so it's such a delight, it's a lovely way to end the year. Fantastic. Maggie, yeah. I can't wait to get into your story. And before we do, or by way of starting, for people in the audience who haven't had the pleasure of coming across you before, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and, and what makes you who you are? Yeah, well, listen, very proud Australian, as I said, now calling the United States home. I grew up on a farm uh, in regional Queensland. So shout out to any Queenslanders listening. Uh, had an awesome time and I accidentally fell into journalism as a career. It's a bit of a long story, um, but it was awesome. And I loved my job. Uh, it was such a privilege telling people's stories. And Melissa, I had an experience uh, at one point in my career where my pain conditions were quite different to that of my male colleagues. Okay. And I don't know, like I was raised in the eighties and I was like, women can do anything. We're all equal, yay. And I kind of had drunk the Kool-Aid. And so when I realized there was this kind of discrepancy, I was like, what? No, well, that's a mistake. I just, I naively assumed it was a mistake. Uh, and so I raised the issue because that's what I thought you were supposed to do. When you see things, you call them out. Uh, and it didn't go down very well, shall we say. They were not happy. Um, I just thought it would be fixed, to be honest, um, but it was not fixed and it turned into quite a drama. Um, and basically I was told, if you don't like it, you can quit or you can take us to court. Um, and so that's kind of, I guess, like long story short, why I founded Pep Talk Her. My mission is now very much focused on making sure no one else goes through what I went through. Um, and, you know, we want to close the gender pay gap 
I hope that I'm out of, out of a job soon, Melissa. Yeah. Um, and, you know, part of closing that pay gap is firstly, you know, raising awareness of the fact that there is a pay gap in every developed country still to this day. Um, and also, you know, to close that gap, part of the challenge is closing the leadership gap, right? And so a lot of what we do now as a company is working with ASX 200 and Fortune 1000 companies to help them close that leadership pipeline uh, and close their leadership gap. Because we know if we do that, we can move more women into those more senior positions and with those senior roles come bigger pay packets. So Maggie, can I take you right back then? And I want to hear so much about this journey, but even as a starting point, how long ago was it that you worked out you were getting paid quite a different or had quite different terms and conditions from your male colleagues? Yeah, so this was a while ago, but not as long as you'd think. Mm. Um, I mean, I couldn't even tell you exactly how many years it was. It was less than 10 years ago, shall we say. Wow. Um, so listen, you know, I hope that things have changed somewhat Maybe we know that the gender pay gap statistics have improved slightly during that decade, although COVID, as we know, has sadly taken us backwards in terms of, you know, the improvements that we've been making towards equality. And we know that the pandemic has disproportionately impacted women and in particular, you know, women of colour. And, I, you know, I think it's important to point that out, that when we look at the pay gap statistics, depending on how you crunch the numbers, it's somewhere between 15 to 20 percent for most developed countries, right? Um, but when you look at those statistics for women of color, it is so much worse um, and it's disgusting, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I feel a strong sense of responsibility that all of us have to do our part to raise the awareness of this challenge, not just so that individually we can improve our financial situation, but so that we can help support other people um, to improve their situation as well. Absolutely. And I think the point is conversations like this. Um, and one of the really interesting things that I found through having these conversations is, um, is the power in people understanding that whatever the situation is, but they're, they're not on their own um, in this leadership journey um, and, and in their experiences in the workplace too. So I just want to go back and... Um, focus on this time as you sort of moved into this world of journalism was it I know you said you sort of ended up there almost a bit accidentally how did that how did it happen it's pretty funny actually I was um I was dating a guy actually and he we were out I think we, were, we went to this dessert restaurant dessert restaurants were kind of trendy back then um in Brisbane and he took me to this dessert restaurant and he was like sitting there and he's like yeah I'm doing work experience at this network and and I was sitting there and I was like what in my head this this narrative was going through my head I was like what he's doing work experience I'm way better than him in class if he's doing work experience I should definitely be doing work experience and if I'm not I'm doing something wrong and so it was funny because it was kind of his bragging and his ego and his confidence that actually by default kind of made me realize, hey, you gotta pull your finger out, Maggie, and you gotta get your stuff together. Um, because if this guy who I thought was not as good as me compared to my grades and stuff. Um, so listen, I'm grateful to him for that. And so that made me kind of realize I really needed to start taking control of my career. And I thought that if I got good grades, that would be enough. Yeah. And as you and I both know, actually in your career, it's not always what you know or how you perform. But in large part, it is who you know and who knows what you know, right? So it's kind of amplifying the work that you do and basically doing your own PR, which for a lot of us, and I think particularly women, we struggle with that, right? Because 
if you live in Australia, you may have experienced what's known as the tall poppy syndrome, which is like, don't get too big for your boots or we'll cut you straight back down. Um, culturally, I know that happens in a lot of different countries as well. Um, and so it's honestly, Melissa, like I still struggle to kind of talk about my successes openly. I, I have to push myself. Um, and I do post on LinkedIn every week and we do post on Instagram basically every day on the at pep talk horror account. We do send newsletters every week and it's not comfortable for me to do that. Yeah. But one of my friends actually said to me once, he said, you know, you actually have a responsibility because you have something important to share. You have a message around, you know, the pay gap around teaching women to negotiate. If you don't share it, you're actually doing everyone a disservice. They actually need to hear it. And so I actually had to hear it framed in that way to kind of basically kick me in the backside to start doing it. And, you know, some people do think you're a bit too big for your britches and some people do unsubscribe. Um, and, you know, along your entrepreneurial journey, you do sadly lose friends. However, what you gain and the impact that you make through sharing your zone of genius and through sharing your message, that trumps all the other negatives. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of a long story of saying how I got into journalism and then um, everything snowballed from there. That is fantastic. And I'm going to force you today to talk about, uh, about yourself. And uh, <laughs> it's such an important message. You know, it's um, through a lot of the conversations I've been having, a couple of things really resonated with me. And one in particular, and it's, it's sort of touching on the message you're talking about, but was making sure that people know what you want. You know, being vocal about what you want and, and not being afraid oh, right. to, to not say it. So let's just, I'm going to keep sort of pulling you back a little bit. As you went through that sort of journalism phase, did it, you obviously had success fairly quickly um, and you found yourself probably no doubt in all sorts of uh, foreign countries and foreign situations and things like that. Were there any of those moments, you know, people talk about imposter syndrome and, you know, there's a lot of debate now about whether imposter syndrome is real or not, but we're talking about those situations you find yourself in where you're wondering if everyone else notices that you're, you don't know what you're doing or, you know, you feel unsure about it. Did you have moments like that through your career or not? Yeah, of course. And, you know, it's interesting when you look at the data and the, the research that has been done on imposter syndrome is quite dated. It goes back to the 60s and 70s. And there's some newer conversations, which I'm pleased to see. Um, Rachika out of the United States. Um, there's, there's two women of color over here doing some really interesting work around this topic of imposter syndrome, which is important. And it's not to say that it doesn't exist. It's just to say that actually, if you feel like an imposter, and if anyone listening today, Melissa, if anyone feels Oh, I shouldn't go for that paid board position because, you know, there's someone else or I shouldn't be on this advisory board because like, who am I to, to be giving advice to founders who've raised multi-millions of dollars or who am I to sit on this government advisory board? You know, that experience of feeling like a fraud or questioning your value, that's actually really common, right? Mm -hmm. And 70% of the population experiences what has been sort of termed imposter syndrome. And certainly, unfortunately, I'm one of them and I've definitely experienced that in my life. I had an experience just pre-COVID actually, where I had to speak at a very large event in the United States called Dreamforce for one of our big clients, Salesforce. And we spoke on stage just after Obama had just finished speaking. And that was certainly a moment where I was like, oh my gosh, like why is anyone gonna stay at this stage and watch when, you know, they could be listening to a former president. So it's definitely something that I have experienced. I'm sure I will continue to experience yeah. it throughout my career. But what's important, I think, is 
when those feelings bubble up is to know that they are just feelings they're not facts right it's not factual that you are not good enough it's not a fact that you're a fraud right if you are in a job right now and you haven't been fired it probably means you're pretty good um one of my bosses said to me once when i was experiencing imposter syndrome he said maggie we're not a charity if you sucked we would fire you and i was like oh yeah that's true so i think it's helpful to remember that you know like if you were actually bad at your job you would be on a performance management plan right um and there's a way out of that but if you if you weren't good at your job you wouldn't keep getting these opportunities and the system we could talk about this for hours was that the system is set up that unfortunately women and people of color and people living with a disability or people who identify as part of the lgbtqi community we have been uh conditioned unfortunately to feel like we don't always belong at the table And that's something that we have to shift as a society, right? And there's certainly change happening, which is awesome, but there's a long way to go, you know? And until we get to that point of an equal society, which if you believe the UN is somewhere between one and 200 years away, it's it's a ways away, but we'll get there, I hope, sooner than that. Um, But in the meantime, it does mean that those of us who have been marginalized throughout history um, struggle a little more potentially, right? And it's not our fault. It's okay if we feel like this, it sucks, but there's things that you can do to move past that. And that's, that's a lot of what we talk about at Pep Talk Her. It's a big part of why we built the app. It's why we work with the behavioral psychologists so that everything that we do is structured to shift behavior. Because I can tell you something on this podcast today, I can tell you to acknowledge those feelings and replace them with something positive, but that's probably gonna go in one ear and out the other. Yeah. What you actually need is repeated nudges through the app, or through one of our programs so that you get that sustained behavior change that we're all looking for. So I love how uh, essentially um, President Obama warmed the audience up for you. Uh, <laughs> That's one way of framing it, Melissa. I'm here for that. Let's go with that. <laughs> let's let's roll with that one. Um, so let's move now to the sort of entrepreneurial journey and you know, let, let's talk about that. You know, that's, you know, you, you've talked about that journey, you know, you might lose friends along the way, that it's uncomfortable sometimes, mm. maybe showing up the mm-hmm. way you know you need to show up to share your message. Mm-hmm. Um, but let, let's touch on all of that. Yeah, and I think something that's helped me in my entrepreneurial journey, because I, you know, I, I was a journalist for a long time. Um, and I I always thought, I thought that older journalists had it all together. I thought that politicians had it all together. I thought that CEOs had their life together. I assumed that marketing CMOs just had it all together. And what I realized is everyone else is making it up too. Like if you feel like you're just making it up as you go along, you're not the only one. Come on. (laughs) There is no, like, there's not really, I mean, obviously if you're a surgeon, you know, you, you get taught, this is how we, this is what we do. This is the process. And it's the same thing. Like you can learn a process, but actually the experience is different for everyone. There's no linear pathway. Right. And I think that was quite freeing for me to realize that all of these other entrepreneurs or very successful businesses that I kind of looked up to, they actually have faults too. Um, and sometimes we work, I mean, we do work with extremely large companies like, you know, DocuSign, LinkedIn, Apple, Microsoft, whatever. And they're awesome clients and I love them. And sometimes there's kinks in the armor, like their systems don't work properly or sometimes, you know, the communication's not perfect or, you know, someone makes a mistake and I'm like, whoa, 
you can be at a big company and make a mistake. It was kind of like, oh, we're not the only ones who sometimes make mistakes or who don't have everything 11 out of 10 all of the time. So I think that's helpful if any of you are thinking about pivoting careers, business, moving into board advisory roles, you know, you're not going to be perfect and that's okay. Because yeah. those other people three steps ahead of you are also not perfect uh, and they never will be, right? And so that was kind of helpful, but it took me a while to figure that out. Um, but yeah, I, I love it. I, I think starting your own business is, for me anyway, it was extraordinarily stressful at the start. And I had anxiety for the first time, which I didn't really know what it was. I was at a friend's house and I thought I was having a heart attack. Mm. She was like, no, you're just having an anxiety attack. And I was like, what's that? I didn't even know. No, this is what, how naive I was. On? What brought that on? Um, I think I was just stressed. Like, I think it just felt like, you know, when you, well, I don't know if anyone has started a business, but it's like, you need a website, you need a logo, you need clients. You have to set up Slack for your team. You have to manage your team. Your team get emotional. You, you make a mistake. You have to build curriculum. You have to build an app. You have to figure out how to build an app like we did with Pet Talker. You have to still have friends and a relationship and talk to your family. And I just found it quite overwhelming, I think. Um, whereas now fast forward, I guess like five or six years and I like feel really good because I think we've ironed out a lot of those kinks. We're still improving. We're still growing all that kind of stuff. But like, I think the bedrock is there yeah. and once the bedrock's there, things get easier. And well, yeah, so that's, that's one good thing to know. It does get easier. How did you get through that phase? Cause there'll be a lot of people, mm. um, interested in that sort of founder phase. Mm. And, you know, in conversation with someone the other day, they were talking about the fact that, um, you know, they're incredibly busy. They're doing everything you're talking about right now. And, in fact, the thing they love most about, they've, they've raised several million um, in venture capital, so they're, you know, really going well. Yeah. The, thing, the thing she loves the most is that quiet, reflective, deep thinking time, which is what you need to kind of propel forward ideas in your business. But because in her own head she's got this... Um, this uh, perspective of what a successful tech entrepreneur mm -hmm. looks like, you know, she's running around trying to do everything. So I just wonder, how did you navigate through that phase? Yeah, I think it's different as well if you raise capital or if you don't. So we bootstrapped, I bootstrapped the business, which basically okay. means that you self-fund it. So I thought about getting venture capital because we are a tech business with the app and we are definitely tech enabled. We're an entirely remote team. But uh, the VC world is mainly male dominated. Um, I had a couple of conversations with men and I, uh, male VCs and I spent like 70 or 80% of the time explaining what the gender pay gap was, um, objection handling them who said it's not real, it was just a construct. And I just was like, do you know what? I just actually am just going to go out and make money and just start making impact. I don't actually, I don't need this. It wasn't helpful for me um, emotionally, I don't think. I just kind of was like, why am I educating you on this when I could be going out and helping people? Um, so I think it's, so part of my stress was probably money because I had to make money yes. or I couldn't feed myself or my team. And so I guess it's different if you're a venture backed business, then there's the stress of investors and growth, right? So I think the stresses are quite different, but for me, and I guess for any stage of business, I reckon the most crucial thing is having a cheer squad around mm -hmm. you right, of people who love, respect and support you when you are doing awesome and you hit seven figures and beyond and who also love you when your website is the worst and you have no clients. Um, and I, I was lucky I, I started at a co-working space and met one woman who introduced me to others and there was sort of like 10 of us in this kind of closed Facebook group and that was really helpful because, you know, they'd be like, use my accountant or use this website software or 
you know, don't work with that company, they're the worst or whatever. Mm. Um, so that's probably what got me through it, I think. And I also am fortunate in that I have a very supportive partner um, who's put up with my workaholic ways for a long time. Um, and I, I feel like I'm coming out of that now. I'm not sure if he would agree with me on that, but um, I, I do think, and also coaches, Melissa, like I've had some amazing coaches and I don't reckon I could have got through it or gotten to the growth level that we have or impacted as many, I think we've got 60,000 women, um, maybe a little more now in the community um, at Pet Talker. We wouldn't have done that if I hadn't had coaches who supported me to get there. I love what you've said about that in terms of, because um, there's such an important thing about not having to do it on your own. Totally. Yeah. And so um, it's interesting because in Australia, I think the whole idea of coaches is far less accepted than in the US. Did you kick your business off in Australia or, or in the US? How did that sort of transition happen? Yeah. So, so we actually, technically we have two companies. So we have a company in Australia and that's definitely where I started. Uh, and all the IP is still held by that company. Um, and then we also have an entity here in the United States. So they do slightly different things, but, but the overarching, you know, theme is the same and it's just like semantics really at the back end. Um, but yeah, it's funny in the United States, you know, you always see on sex in the city and those shows that everyone has a therapist in New York. It's very true. Uh, and every entrepreneur, he has at least one coach, if not two, I have two at the moment. Um, I'm, I'm probably in the market for a therapist at the moment too. So I need to find another good one. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, like asking for help here is really common. And I found actually the culture here when I moved, especially to New York, you'd meet someone because I found in Oz, part of the reason why I moved to America was to expand the business. Mm -hmm. And also because I just felt like when I left Australia five years ago, I didn't really feel like, you know, women's equality and the gender pay gap was front of mind or of interest, frankly. And I credit very brave women like Grace Tame and Brittany Higgins and others for the advocacy that they've done to really grow awareness of women's issues more broadly. Yes. Women's agenda um, do amazing advocacy on this as well. And I'm grateful um, to Georgie Dent um, and Angela and the team there for the work they've done as well, really putting it in the mainstream agenda. Because mm -hmm. we know that if you support women in business and if you have women in the C-suite, net profit goes up. Right. So this is not a warm and fuzzy, yay, close the pay gap. It's so good. It's like if you're a capitalist and if you like money, get on board, basically. Yeah. You know, if you have superannuation, if you have investments, like you should be you should give a shit about this, frankly. Um, yeah. And you should you should vote at shareholder meetings and you should ask uncomfortable questions because I think there's maybe I can't remember. I know there were a few on the ASX that had no women on their board. I know that we're almost at the end of that. Um, but I mean, can you believe that that's even still an option? Um, but we're still talking about it. Yeah. yeah. And so it's actually, I think it is the right thing to do. I believe in equality from an ethical and a moral perspective. However, if I put my capitalist hat on, I just think that anyone who isn't talking about this is just buried their head in the sand. There was an ETF that listed here in the United States not long ago called SHE, the S-H-E um, ETF, the market tracker that only invests in, in companies that, um, you know, have a gender lens and have that as a priority. And like, you should see the success that it's had because investors are starting to vote with their money as well, right? And big, you know, investment blocks, it's not just individuals either. This is a trend. So it's like, get on board and get ahead of it. And our clients who work with us at Pep Talk Her, they do have a values alignment and they believe in equality and they want their female leaders to do well. 
But let's be realistic. They also do it for commercial reasons because they know that when they can grow their female leadership talent and promote them, the business is going to do better. Um, So, you know, I'm excited for that to become more mainstream and to have less of this kind of convincing of the argument. But I I think that 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 change has certainly started in a big way. So you found you found the environment that you felt the business would thrive in when you got to the US? Yeah, I did. And I found when I met women and men in New York, um, I'd be like, hi, I'm Maggie, I've got this business. And they'd be like, awesome, and what else? And they were like, okay, cool, so great. So when are you gonna be working with like yeah. the top Fortune Five? And like, who do you know at Pepsi? And like, how can I get you in the door at PwC? And like. I was like, what? That was so amazing. And they'd be like, great, my business does this. Let's collaborate. Let's do an event together. I'll introduce you to this person. And I was like, whoa. And there's definitely people that do that in Australia and they're amazing. I I just found in New York, it was like 98% of people that I met were incredibly generous. I was this random Aussie with the weird accent, like traipsing around town, not realizing how big of a coat that I needed um, in the winter. And they were just like so generous. And I, I feel like the attitude here is very much like a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, it's not one pie with one piece for me. Actually, the pie keeps getting bigger. Um, and I appreciate and I'm, and I'm grateful for that attitude um, that, that I've certainly been the beneficiary of here in the United States. That's brilliant, Maggie. What would you say is your superpower as a founder? Ooh, so I think this is so interesting. And one of the things that I did when I quit journalism, um, I had the most amazing job at SBS Dateline. I loved it. I got to travel all around the world. I got to um, literally run for my life when I was in Nepal covering an earthquake and my cameraman and I thought that we were about to be buried alive. That was very scary. Um, But it was an amazing job and an amazing team. And I made the decision to leave um because I just really had this sense that um pep talk her was where I was supposed to be dedicating my energy but what I actually did was spend maybe two or three months getting to know myself mm. which sounds a bit ridiculous um but again I had a strong sense that like I wasn't clear on what my skills were or my zone of genius was outside of journalism And even within journalism, I was like, I was good at some things, I was bad at other things. And I kind of wanted to break that down a bit more scientifically, which doesn't come naturally to me. Mm -hmm. And so a friend of mine introduced me to Gallup Strength Finders. Oh, yes, I use it. Yeah, I'm obsessed. Um, I should be an affiliate. I tell everyone to do it, um, but I'm not. But anyway, it's Gallup, G-A-L-L-U-P. And just do the cheap one. I think it's like, it's $19.99 US. That's like 35 bucks Aussie. And um, it's it's not a personality test, that's unfair, but it's similar. And it basically asks you a series of questions. And what it does is it identifies your top strengths. So it says that humans are made up of 30 or 35, I'm forgetting the exact number, strengths. And by virtue of that, if you know what your top five are, you can then understand your bottom five. Um, and so when I, when I did that, that was really helpful. I worked with an amazing coach in New Zealand called Jason Biggs, who I still work with regularly. Everyone on my team works with him because I find it crucial when I'm hiring. If you can understand people's natural strengths, then you can figure out like the grid of your team, like who slots in where, what are we hiring for in this next role, etc. And so what I would say is um, my superpower 
is one of my strengths. And one of my top strengths is activator, which means that I'm great at starting ideas and having vision and all that kind of stuff. And so a lot of entrepreneurs find that they have that in their top five, um, which is awesome. So I think I'm good at like coming up with the ideas. My team would probably say when it comes to executing the minutia, minutia, minutia of all of those ideas, maybe that's not my zone of genius, but the good news is they're awesome and they fill in the blanks for me. Fantastic. I think that is brilliant. It's such a great conversation, isn't it? If you are loving the conversation and you want to hear more about how you can take the next step in your career, come and find out about our masterclasses. Join our website at bravefeminineleadership.com. See you there. I just wonder, do you think the entrepreneurial journey is for everyone? No, I don't. And I think that's a good thing, you know, because I think it's very sexy at the moment, isn't it, to have a business. It's so sexy to like go out and raise a million dollars or $5 million or $50 million, you know, and that's kind of like a model of success. And I think depends how you define entrepreneur, right? Like the, um, you know, the Atlassian founders are certainly entrepreneurs and they've done very well financially. And then I would argue that, you know, um, someone who there's a, there's a lady here in New York City she's Irish and she makes scones and they're amazing scones and she sells them from a pub and you know it's a long story but there was a big story that made her blow up and become very famous but pre that she was probably making I don't know a couple hundred bucks a week selling those scones like that to me that's still she's still an entrepreneur right she's not necessarily building a company that's worth billions of dollars but she's helping to support her family and she's kind of in her zone of genius cooking the stuff that she loves to do so I would say that it's different for everyone. You know, you can be a teacher and have a full-time job and maybe you take on two tutoring clients part-time. And I would say that you are an entrepreneur. I think a lot of people that run their household are entrepreneurs in their own way, right? Because they're running systems, they're juggling things, they're problem solving. Um, but I think, you know, for me, doing my Gallup Strength Finders was helpful to understand naturally where do I lean and where do I fit? And so for me, it is about the ideas. It is about inspiring others. I have positivity and developer as some of my key qualities, right? So running a business that involves a lot of coaching of our um, community and of our corporate clients makes a lot of sense for my personality. And it doesn't feel like work. Yes. So if you understand your strengths, you can lean into the stuff that you're like, well, that's so easy, but it's easy for you. And that doesn't mean it's easy for me. Like my accountant, I'm just like, let me bow down to you. I don't get it. I don't get it. I'll never get it. I don't understand it. Um, but for them, they're like, this is so easy, Maggie. How are you so useless at your zero? Um, so I think, um, but I also think, you know, every entrepreneur needs team members and they need team members who are going to stay with them for the long term to execute and support that bigger vision. Yeah. Um, I have a woman on my team called Kim, who's been with me, I guess, like more than two years now. She joined my team, she had a baby, she came back and I hope that she'll be with me for 20 years, right? If she wanted to be an entrepreneur and left, of course I would support her, but at the same time, it's really valuable for me to know that there's other people who want to support entrepreneurs' visions so that they can build a big business as part of a team. So I think it's fine if it's not your jam, that's cool. And if you wanna be involved in startups or small businesses or growing businesses, there's other things you can do, right? You can be an advisor. You can start to angel invest. You can, um, you know, use your company's budget to support women-owned businesses and minority-owned businesses. So there's lots of different ways that you can get involved in the community without having to quit your nine to five if you don't want to. But I wouldn't, you know, if you do want to, definitely send me a DM. Happy to help support you with that as well. I wanted to ask um, 
about risk. And has there been a point in your journey? So in some of my conversations with entrepreneurs, obviously, well, I'm clearly finding there's a strong risk profile in preparedness to take it. But have you had to deal with the risk of potentially losing it all? Um, so I would say I have a decent risk appetite. However, <clears throat> I also have a nest egg of a share portfolio that I've been, you know, squirreling away since I started working. Okay. So I've always known if I lost everything, I had shares that I could sell and support myself for a couple of years, right? So I think I have an extraordinarily high risk appetite. However, I also have a bit of a hedge that I saved and you know I never bought fancy shoes or handbags because I was saving and investing, which I'm very grateful that I did, right? So but then now I also do a lot of angel investing. I, you know, I invest in cryptocurrency. Um, you know, I, I support friends' businesses when they're starting businesses, you know, so I write a lot of angel checks. So I'm much riskier now. And I think part of that is because I have a little bit of a bedrock. I can't retire if yeah. I lose everything, but I'm not going to be on the street immediately. Yeah. Um, so I think that's helped me hedge some of that risk. Um, you know, and I think, I think there's also, I think it's important to talk about the fact that there's inherent privilege for a lot of entrepreneurs, right? Like if you look at the success of Mark Zuckerberg or, you know, um, Jeff Bezos and people like this, a lot of them had a lot of privilege and they had a massive hedge yes. and a fallback plan if it didn't work out. Right. So I, I think don't, you don't, if, if anyone's listening, you don't always have to measure your success to some of those other, you know, pin up success stories, because keep in mind that a lot of those people had a bit of a head start in a lot of ways. And I count myself in that, that basket, right? Because I had a full-time job before where I had the capacity to save and invest. So that has helped me. Um, and that's why now, like I do angel invest and reach out to me on LinkedIn if you're raising, because I, I want to support you. And if I can't, I want to connect you with people because I know how hard it is. And I applaud everyone who is taking a risk, especially if you don't have um, you know, uh, a soft landing if you need it. So, but, but like, I, I would say that I am risky, but I want to just kind of caveat that by saying I, I have savings. So I think that helps too. But now I don't even let myself think about losing everything because I think that would shift my mindset. So it's not an option for me to fail. Yeah. Um, I don't even think about that. It's just like, it's not on the cards and like growth is, is it's happening. Like, it's just, it's not even a question. Um, and so that because that makes me always think and project forward and in the positive rather than spiraling into the negative, which I avoid at all costs. Rather than the what if kind of scenarios too much. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, I just want to touch briefly, and that's fantastic that you invest as well. I read some fascinating research the other day, and actually you alluded to it when you spoke about heading out to look for funding potentially initially. And that is the, some of the bias in terms of some of the questions that come through um, in the VC space, which I know is shifting. And I know there's a lot of talk and conversation and a lot more prominence in terms of female partners in the space and, and you know, people wanting to invest with strong female-led businesses. But the research talked about the fact that female-led businesses, often the owners are quizzed on all of the ways the business could go wrong all the ways the business could fail. And in your situation, yeah. I think the gender, uh, you know, the gender pay gap isn't even real. So why would you focus on that? Um, versus quite often the, um, the questions that male-led businesses are asked are around growth and market share and things right. that are set up. Yeah, so do you, are you conscious of that? Do you hear that? Does that resonate with you? Yeah, you hear that all the time. And, the, yeah, the men are asked questions like, 
you know, what's the, you know, sky is the limit. Where are you going? And the women are asked, but what if this, but what if, but what if, but what if, and, you know, I mean, it's just one of those things, like it sucks, but I, I can't change the perception of every male investor overnight. I can't do it. I don't have the capacity. It's literally impossible. Some of them will always have that perception. And again, like a lot of that is unconscious bias. I'm sure some of them are bad humans, but most of them don't even realize they're doing it. That's right. Right. Most of them were raised in a society or in a family or observing social cues that told them that men were successful business owners, that boys will grow up to be CEOs. And they didn't see women role models. They didn't see that in the news. They didn't see that in the paper. They didn't see that in their high schools or whatever. They didn't read about it in the Financial Times. And so when you've grown up in a world that hasn't shown you equality, in some ways you kind of can't blame them for now still having that perpetuated bias. I'm not saying I like it. I obviously hate it. And I have met way too many of those bros and I have zero time for them. However, again, most of that is unconscious bias. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's things that we can do to educate and I would hope that that, that tide is turning, but it's gonna take literally generations. It's not until boys and girls grow up in a world where they see both, right? They see male and female investors. They see men and women politicians on their TV screen. Mm -hmm. They see men and women as CEOs of major companies. When we have kids who grow up in that environment, it's my hope that we won't see that as much, if at all, right? Um, but, you know, my attitude towards all of these things is the gender pay gap sucks. The bias in investing is offensive and it is awful. Um, I have friends who've been asked to lift up your skirt and show us your numbers. Uh, a lot of my friends get asked about when they're planning to have kids yes. from investors. Um, I know someone who's going through an A deal right now. It's contingent on whether any of her executive team get pregnant as to whether the deal goes through. Like this is what is happening now, like right now in the world, right? And so it's not fair and it's not okay. Um, it's what is happening. And so if we can be aware of that, then we can start to say, actually, no, that's not cool. <laughs> we're not signing a deal with those terms or we're not going to enforce that clause. We're not going to put that in because it's not appropriate. Mm. Um, so I hope that we can have this conversation, Melissa, in a few years and that that will no longer be the case. But again, my attitude is it sucks. Um, I'm going to do what I can, um, but I'm not going to sort of bitch and moan and complain about it too much because it's too depressing if you do. Um, I'm just going to sort of focus my energy where we can help support through the corporate clients who do believe in equality and who do want to see change. And we're going to try and move the needle there and hope that we can bring, you know, the bigger tide with us as, as time goes on. Who was on. your role model growing up? Who did you see? Um, it's a good question. You know, and I think my parents, uh, credit to them, like they did a really good job of, I didn't, I mean, obviously I grew, well, I actually grew up without a television. I was going to say, obviously I grew up with the same, you know, biases as everyone else, but I actually grew up without a TV, which I think probably changed things to some, to some extent. I don't know. I had amazing teachers, male and female. And it's interesting, Melissa, like if I reflect on my career, I had, my first boss was unbelievable, Kathy Schnitzling. Um, she like winked and nod and, and told me to ask for a pay raise very early. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have known to do that if she hadn't taught me. And then I've had amazing male, male mentors too throughout, throughout my career. Um, so I, I've been fortunate to have um, the privilege of support of, of both genders, you know, and I think growing up, I was always, you know, I found this old essay I wrote when I was like 11 about how the sexualized nature of a Britney Spears film clip or something ridiculous, you know. <laughs> so mum was, mum and dad were obviously teaching me something, right? I don't really remember the specifics, but I did find this essay and I was like, that's pretty hectic for an 11-year-old to write. Wow. That. 
You are doing what you are meant to be doing. That is an absolute classic. Megan, uh-huh. can I ask you the final question I ask of everybody? Yeah. From your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership look like and do you think it needs to change? Yeah, what a great question. Um, I Like to me, I think living courageously is is brave leadership, right? And I think actually it's interesting. One of my coaches talks a lot about male and feminine energy, masculine and feminine energy and leadership, which honestly I was like, what are you talking about when she first started telling me about it? Um, And it's been interesting for me to explore that further. And I think sometimes as a female founder, um, and as a woman in business, you know, negotiating, you know, large five, six figure contracts and stuff like that, sometimes she would say that I'm too masculine in my leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sometimes I bring those masculine in inverted commas um, tendencies into my relationships and my friendships as well, which is interesting. She and I disagree on some of those things. But um, for me, when I think about what is what does impressive leadership look like? I think it's speaking courageously um, when it's not always popular. That's one of the qualities that I admire most. Um, and being open to having conversations with people from diverse backgrounds. I think it's very easy to surround yourself with people who look and talk and think the same as you do. And I think actually real growth in business and certainly in society comes when you actively seek out opinions and thoughts and ideas and friendships from people who have had different experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, that's, that's what I admire in um, business leaders and leaders in general. Maggie, thank you so much for joining the conversation. Um, you've been having this conversation for quite some time. So um, I'm thrilled for anyone in our audience who hasn't come across you before to, to help them find you and find Pep Talk Her and work out how to ask for that pay rise. Yeah, totally. And like I'm on LinkedIn, Maggie Palmer, very boring. Uh, and Pep Talk Her is on all the social channels. So please send me a DM and let me know that you heard this conversation. I'd love to understand a little bit more about your story. If we can help support you, let me know. Um, the app is free. Um, we have a salary boot camp that you can check out, peptalker.com slash SOS as well. Um, but yeah, I'm so excited to hear everyone's stories and for the growth that they're going to have because of your podcast. So thanks for hosting me, Melissa. Brilliant. Absolute pleasure. Wonderful to meet you. You as well. If the conversation's resonating with you and it's starting some questions around you and your future and your next step, come and join us. Come and join the conversation at bravefeminineleadership.com. We would love to meet you.